This chapel message is brought to you by the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. So the topic today is the power of the gospel. And there are a lot of potential deterrents to being involved in communicating the gospel to others that probably come to mind quickly, things like don't have enough time, uh, fear of rejection, uh, lack of knowledge about questions they might ask me, whatever it might be. But I think there's also a, a deterrent that we might not think a lot about, and that is that at times we can fall short of appreciating just how good the good news is. And we at times don't recognize what it accomplishes in our lives, enabling us to do things that we couldn't do of our own strength, perhaps just allowing us to survive in difficult times. So that, that power of the gospel that the Scripture speaks so much about is a, a critical factor, I think, in enabling us to have a desire uh, to be able to communicate the good news to others. So before we get into the topic of the power of the gospel, I'll just mention that the way I look at gospel opportunities, and I think many of you all can identify with this, is that during the course of everyday life, you might look for opportunities to speak of what are referred to as faith flags, just references to the fact that faith is important to you uh, in the presence of those that, whose faith you don't know about, whether they're walking with Christ or not. And you might have an opportunity to go a little more depth about how the Lord has blessed you in one way or another, trying to figure out who have an interest in that. In the process, you'll find out others that are actually believers, and that's a great thing as well. And, and some will be interested, and others might be a little bit put off, and it, you may not be ready to get deep into a gospel presentation with them. Um, but then hopefully a little bit of interaction occurs, and you learn more about where somebody's coming from. And, and so often, it seems that what inspires a person to seriously consider the gospel is something that goes wrong in their lives, some sort of hardship that occurs, an illness, which is a great opportunity for, for doctors, uh, or other things that, that humble a person and cause them to look up, perhaps for the first time. And then that gospel opportunity comes along. Now I'm speaking a little bit more narrowly when I refer to gospel opportunity, meaning that you have a chance to dig into the Word and communicate with someone who has an interest because of whatever circumstances they're in. And you can actually communicate to them through how God has communicated to us through His Word. So now I'm going to make you all work. When a gospel opportunity comes along like this, where are some of the places in the Scripture that you might go to communicate parts of the gospel? And by the way, there's no passage that nails it all. All we can do is communicate parts because it's bigger than we are. But where are some of the popular passages that you might go to to communicate the gospel? Who's got one? Okay, Romans 3, Romans 5. I think I've heard that called the Roman road. Romans 6 and, and those verses, that's a great place to be. Where else? John 3.16 is a classic, yeah. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Yeah, that's, that's a, a big go-to for a lot of people. You see that at all the ball games too. I think most everybody knows the, the reference even if they don't all know the verse. Yeah. Where else comes to mind? All right, I'll throw a few more at you here. So here are some that, that, that came to my mind. Uh, Isaiah 
where it says in Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray, each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. And interestingly, there's this guy in the New Testament that claimed to be the good shepherd, which links pretty well together with that. 1 Timothy 2.5, there is one God and one meteor between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. John 3.16, as, as was mentioned, uh, Romans 10, 9, and 10, a part of that Roman road, if you confess through the lips of Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Genesis 15, 6, uh, and Abraham believed and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. So it's not just a New Testament phenomenon, this, this gospel thing. And Psalm 103, 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Lots more passages that we can refer to in, in various instances. I want to highlight, uh, nobody has mentioned, and uh, yet I think it's a, a powerful gospel-sharing verse. First, here's the introduction to that verse. John 14, verses 1 to 5, Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas responds, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Now, I think that's a logical question. I mean, if I said to JC, hey, JC, let's have lunch tomorrow. You know how to get there, right? What would you say? <laughs> where? Exactly. So he's, he's asking a logical question, I think. But Jesus gives him far more than the question that Thomas asks here. You know the next verse. It says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Although I think this is a very powerful verse, it's one that some might be hesitant to use in an evangelistic encounter, especially in our culture. Any idea why? It, it comes across as exclusive. Uh, and there are many that would call us narrow-minded and not open to the plurality of ways to God and things like that. And, and I have to confess, I, I don't think that I have ever used this verse as a, a way to share the gospel with somebody that wasn't yet walking with Jesus. But that's changed. I, I've spent a lot of time with this verse and I'm beginning to see more of, of the power in it. And... Uh, I think, I think it can be a great way for us to communicate the, the power of the gospel. So, oh, let me back up just a minute. So, a week and a half ago, I was in Uganda, and uh, I had dinner with a physician that I had met about 18 months ago. His name is Dr. Martin. And we exchanged pleasantries, and we were catching up, and he asked, so what's been going on in your life? And I said to him, well... I've actually been spending a lot of time with John chapter 14, verse 6. <laughs> I was telling Lori this story yesterday, and he looks at me like he had just seen a ghost. Because since September, he has been studying John 14, verse 6. And, and we had a good time exchanging notes that night, and, and here he is, Dr. Martin, uh, who, who leads a ministry called Africa Renewal Ministries in uh, Kampala. So today, I'd like to just focus on Jesus being the way 
and, and that's in the interest of time. And so we'll take a look at that phrase and, and other phrases, other uh, verses that re- relate to it. So question, rhetorical question, where else do we find the phrase, the way, mentioned in the Scriptures? There are actually four places in the book of Acts where those that are seeking to follow Jesus are referred to as the way. And so I think that begs the obvious question, what was it that was supposed to characterize Jesus' followers? When they referred to them as the way, what might that mean? Well, John 13, 35, Jesus gets pretty particular when he says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So the distinguishing feature of those Christians that were following the way was to be a love for one another. And 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So it certainly makes sense Jesus not only called his followers to love one another, but he showed us what that looks like. John 15.13, Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And 1 Corinthians 12, 31 says, this is Paul, he's talked about the various gifts of the body and how that compares to the physical body. And then he says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts and I will show you a still more excellent way. And what comes after 1 Corinthians 12, 31? 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, where we see a beautiful rendition of what love is to look like and and uh, it's convicting that I've never been able to read it without recognizing where I fall short in, in so many ways, but it's such a beautiful summary of what love is to be. And that chapter ends with verse 13, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So I'd like to share with you now uh, the words, uh, extra scriptural words of something that I think can speak powerfully into the topic here. Um, that is the prophet Meatloaf. Has anybody ever heard of Meatloaf? Okay, we've got a few. All right, good, good. And the prophet Meatloaf said this in one of their more popular songs. And I tried to get this to play, but I, apparently there are laws against that, so... Uh, so we have any volunteers to sing it here? <laughs> anyway, here's how the song goes, okay? The, the classic lyrics are, I want you, I need you, but there ain't no way I'm ever going to love you. Now don't be sad because... There you go, okay, two out of three ain't bad. <laughs> and just for fun, you ought to pull it up and listen to it because it... it he croons like a love song, you know, he's really going at it, and then he gets to the end. And uh, so, so, ladies, how would you feel about your guy singing this song to you? <laughs> Pro- probably not so good. But let's look more specifically into, um, nice picture. Thanks, Danny. Uh, let's look more specifically into what he says here. So if somebody, um, 
If somebody says, I want you, whose satisfaction is prioritized? Mine, right? If somebody says, I need you, again, whose satisfaction is, is the goal here? Mine. But when I say, I love you, that turns the attention to the other person, obviously. And so, the question that I think we should rightfully ask is, why love? Why deliberately put the well-being of someone else ahead of your own uh, in an ultimate sense? And, and for what reason would we, as it says in Philippians 2.3, for what reason would we count others more important than ourselves? I mean, I can fully understand... Um, well, let me go this year. It says, 1 John 4.19 says, we love because, obviously, He first loved us. It's a response to God's love for us. But apart from knowing God's love in your life, apart from seeing the love that Jesus has bestowed on us, it's hard to make a good case for why we would consistently put someone else's well-being ahead of our own if we are indeed the most important thing in the universe. So I think meatloaf was displaying a powerful truth that Apart from the Lord, and I don't know for sure where meat loaf stood, but apart from the Lord, we don't have a good reason to put others' well-being ahead of our own. So, yes, we love because He first loved us. How much does He love us? Jesus says in John 17 that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Now, I, I can fully understand why God would love Jesus. Jesus was perfectly obedient. He did the will of His Father, never messed up. But why would He love me? And, and, and that's just, if that doesn't blow your mind, you haven't heard the gospel yet. Because it's, it's a, a truth that uh, should always blow us away, should challenge us, and enable us to realize that we are receiving something we could never deserve. And that that thing we're receiving has, has got to get out. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, For the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. So we are enabled to lay down our own personal well-being, at least to some extent, in order to put the favor on someone else's well-being. And that's because of the love of Christ. And this summary that Paul did of Romans chapter 8, the last couple of verses, Again, just so powerful in speaking of the, the love that we have received through Christ. Paul says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this, this love that we have is not just something that appears to others on the outside. It represents an internal reality in our lives. 1 John 3, 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. It's not just something that others observe, but it represents an internal reality that has occurred. An example of this that comes to mind is the story of... Uh, 
Nate Saint, one of the five who were martyred in Ecuador um, somewhere around 1960, and uh, his son Steve Saint and others sought to minister uh, to the Wadani people in Ecuador. Many of them came to faith in Christ. And at one point, Steve Saint and Menkaye, I think his name was, uh, one who may have been the one that actually speared his father, they were touring in the U.S., talking from place to place. And some reporter said to Steve Saint, how can you possibly befriend and spend time with the man who may have killed your father. And Steve Saint's response was something like, I can't, but Jesus can. And that's the, that's the kind of love that God uh, enables. 1 Corinthians 13, 8, love never fails. Now, our efforts to live out the love that we've received, they fail at times, Okay. But it's never because God's love could not empower us to deal with whatever the, the situation might be. So, in summary, um, loving others is the supernaturally natural thing for a Christian to do. It's supernaturally empowered, but it's natural from the standpoint that that's uh, an inherent calling from God, and God enables us to fulfill that calling. And I'll say also that this love comes across most powerfully in the absence of like. I think so often when the word love is used, oh, I love you, it means I like you a whole lot, right? That's how you hear it on, you know, TV and movies and things like that. But I think the most powerful love is that love that God inspires, that love that God brings about when you don't particularly like somebody else. And, and you know that it's the Spirit of God that is enabling you to, to love that person. So the reception of God's love compels us to go and do likewise for others. Secondly, Jesus Christ most perfectly demonstrates what that love is to look like. And thirdly, the Holy Spirit living within us enables us to carry out this precious calling, not perfectly, but really. And in closing, I'll just mention that um, when I was first exposed to the faith and when the gospel was first beginning to resonate with me in dental school, I remember seeing people that were a part of a student group uh, in Richmond, Virginia, and it became obvious to me that they had a greater capacity to love and care for others than I did. And it caught my eye that they were better at loving than I was. It was a relative thing. It was, you know, everybody loves some, but they're really good at it, right? But when you come to Christ, you realize it's not just a relative difference. It's an absolute change that has occurred. It is an absolute change that occurs when someone is connected with Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in and indwells them and enables us to love others uh, from that absolute perspective. So it will seem like a relative difference to others, and our goal in evangelism is to introduce them to the fact that that can become an absolute difference in, in their lives. Let's pray.
Behold what manner of love you have shown us that we should be called your sons and daughters and such as we are. So Father, we, uh, words are inadequate to praise you for what you have accomplished in our lives, uh, transferring us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of your marvelous light, enabling us to uh, enjoy fellowship with you and with one another. And we thank you, Lord, that that love is for all eternity. And Father, I just ask that how you have loved us would flow through us, would make us your vessels to extend that same type of love to others and that you would work through it to grow your kingdom. So thank you, Father, for each person here, for the people you've put into our lives, the people you enable us to love, and we pray for you to bless the results as only you can. And we pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.